Morning, everyone. How's everybody's summer going so far? Short, quick. I'm kind of depressed, man. It's like it's July. It's going to be August, and it's like it's already zipping by. Hey, remember the warning that we gave, like the beginning of like around springtime, that said if you complain about the heat, we'll kill you. That's still in effect, okay? So, I just hate winter. Don't you guys hate winter more so than the heat? Really? Okay. Thank you. Exactly. Uh, hey, we're, uh, you know, I can't think of a better time to spend uh, in a series called Summer at the Lake. And we've been talking about uh, Jesus, uh, his teaching around the lake, Sea of Galilee. Uh, lake, you know, j- there's a couple different names uh, for the lake of the Sea of Galilee and things like that within the scripture, but it's the same body of water. And as he was um, uh, teaching around, the, uh, teaching around uh, this particular body of water, uh, we talked about uh, things such as the very first thing was uh, when he called his disciples, come follow me. And and we talked about the difference between being a Christian and a Christ follower, not to the point of, of uh, splitting hairs or semantics or anything like that, but um, but but f- are we truly following Christ? And so, uh, you know, like the first disciples did, where we drop everything that we have and we follow him. Uh, and last week we talked about getting out of the boat. And didn't CJ do a great job? He's our uh, campus pastor from Blissfield from Blissfield, from Adrian, and uh, it was a cool time for you guys to get to meet him, but he's just, he's doing a great job there, but I, I you know, just hearing uh, his, him teach and stuff, I think it's just, he's got a, a tremendous heart. Today we're going to talk about not missing the boat, and first of all, I want to direct your attention to Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to look at uh, a, a discussion that Jesus had with the disciples, and um, as we do that, though, I want to talk to you about warnings, because that's what this was, this was a, this was a warning that he gave his disciples. Now, uh, when we were all kids, and I know some of you are from a little bit of an older generation, and, I, and I'm not saying that uh, out of out of humor or anything. I talked to the first couple of services and uh, here, and then and then Adrian. But uh, there's a couple here that I think that, that applied to us as we were kids, such as don't talk to strangers. Okay. Uh, one of the questions I asked the older, kind of the older generation was, and I wasn't trying to be funny whatsoever, is is you know like when I was a kid, we were always told not to take candy from strangers or get in the car with strangers and things like that. And I was just wondering, I always picture like the generations before me, a couple generations before, a much safer place. And some of them said that uh, if you fall in that category, some of them uh, said that that really wasn't an issue. You know, someone giving them candy wasn't something you have to guard against. Like with our kids, it seems like, oh, no, don't touch anything if you don't know the person. And so, uh, but anyhow, uh, as we look at, you know, some of these warnings, we were taught that. How about this one? Uh, We were all probably warned never to play with matches uh, or fire look both ways before you cross the street we've been camping and 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 jake our our four-year-old he um he's a wonder man he likes to go and and you know and and hit the playgrounds and stuff like that and a lot of times you know in a campground you know how you have that little i don't know what it's a road but i don't know what you call it because it's not like a busy road whatever so but i'm like i'm like you got to watch out for cars man you know i'm trying to teach him how to look both ways and so i'm telling him hey look both ways before you cross and he does one of these numbers he goes and then he like just shoots across i'm like whatever at least you're not in the camper so you know go but anyhow here's a couple that here's a couple warnings that that i find very interesting these are true uh you know those uh sun shields sun shields you put in your car to you know during the day when you park it to keep the heat down from in the car uh there's one warning very true it says do not operate vehicle with sun shield in place that another one listen to this one and on an iron do not iron clothes while on your body do i don't know do we need to be told these things 
A blanket imported from Taiwan. Warning, do not use for protection for a tornado. And then last, since you guys are just really enjoying these, uh, a Superman costume for kids, it says this, wearing of this garment does not allow children to fly. So either we are a bunch of idiots as parents and, and people, or we've got some crazy lawsuits which I would imagine it goes more towards the lawsuit area. But anyhow, these warnings are, are, are real things. I mean, they're actually real things. Look on some of your products uh, uh, or even search online if you, if you just, for giggles, uh, about some of the warnings that they, that they put on, on things. It's just really, it's really uh, humorous in a sense. But warnings are very, they're, 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 they're clearly not created equal. We're going to look at a warning today that Jesus gave uh, to his disciples. And if, you, if you're in Matthew chapter 16, he says this in verse 5. He says, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. I know this is my sense of humor, and I'm just going to press it on you guys, because I know you enjoy it so much, as we just saw. But can you, for me, when I read certain... Uh, instances that Jesus had with the disciples. I often like think about these guys and kind of see this comical routine take place. Like Jesus makes a statement, and they're like, "Who forgot the bread?" You know, I can see them like looking at someone else. You, you're a moron. You always forget everything. Who forgot the bread? And, and again, that's not what Jesus was warning about. But he was talking about the Pharisees and Sadducees. And and I know that all of you there would have understood what yeast meant, right? When he said Pharisees and Sadducees, you would have been excluded from the disciples. But these guys, they didn't catch it. They were like, they were obviously the discussion goes about who forgot the bread. They're looking at something more literal. They're looking at something uh, more tangible. Whereas Jesus is saying, no, it's not. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm you know, and so when we when we talk about yeast, we know that it has to do with bread. So obviously, it connected with them that it, he must be talking about bread. But instead of, of of that, he was talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He was talking from a metaphorical sense. Now, to get the importance of this warning, to understand for you, to help us understand um, this warning a little bit more clearly, because I believe that the warning that Jesus gave to the Pharisees and Sadducees applied directly to us so many thousands of years later. And so to understand that though, I think we need to understand a little bit about the Pharisees and Sadducees and who they were. The disciples knew exactly who, when, he, when he finally you know, talked about the Pharisees and Sadducees, they knew exactly what he was talking about. The Pharisees, and some of you may are, be familiar, some of you may, may have not, and, and think these, these names are kind of odd, which they, they do sound kind of odd, uh, but the Pharisees and Sadducees were uh, the religious rulers of that day. The Pharisees, in a nutshell, taught this. They taught that to be okay with God you had to work really, really hard, okay? That's the key of the Pharisees. They taught that if you wanted to have the right relationship with God, if you wanted to be in right standing with God, you had to work very, very hard with that relationship to be okay with God. Now, I think they're a lot like this. How many of you have one of these clothes hangers sitting in your basement where you spent 600 bucks on? Now you have it sitting down there with clothes drying, right? This is a Stairmaster, 
And a Stairmaster is, I think, you know, kind of like what the Pharisees were like. You get on a Stairmaster and you work, you work, you work, you work, you work, right? I mean, it really, you, you, if you use it, I mean, that's what you do. You work out on the thing. It really wears you out. Guys, the Pharisees had 613 religious rules about how to be a good person before God. 613 rules. Think about this for a second. 248 of these rules were things that you had to do. 248 rules that you had to make sure that you were doing on a regular basis, on a consistent basis, and by doing that you would be okay with God. 365 of the rules pertain to things that you weren't supposed to do. So you had 200 and 248 things that you had to be conscientious about doing, and you had 365 things, on the other hand, that you had to make sure that you weren't doing, and all of those things added up to, to, a, to a Stairmaster spirituality is what it added up to. We've got to work very, very hard. We've got to make sure we remember what rules to do, what rules not to do, what rules to make sure that we uh, accomplish, what ones we've got to make sure we don't break. Now, the Sadducees, just like it is in our day and age, the pendulum swings from one side clear to the other. So if the Pharisees were over here and saying, you, saying that in order to be okay with God, you had to work really hard, what do you think the Sadducees said? That's not rhetorical. Real question. Anybody? Seriously? You had to work really hard. Yeah, you don't have to work really hard. Exactly. You don't have to do anything. And they were the opposite. They kind of resembled this. They kind of resembled a lounge chair, which says, you know what? We can just kick it. We can just kick back and relax. It can be, you know, everything's going to be okay. Boys are going to be boys. Girls are going to be girls. Everything's going to work itself out. By the way, this was a group that was notorious for taking the rules, for taking the law, and picking and choosing what they would follow. Some of us do that too, right? But they were very relaxed. They weren't as hard as the Pharisees. The pendulum swung, and we never like stop in the middle, do we? The pendulum swings clear over and says, oh, I can just take it easy. I can just be very relaxed. This was serious enough for Jesus to say, be very aware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He was looking to his disciples. In fact, we start reading that after this, he was pointing himself towards Jerusalem. He was on the mission uh, to, die, to die on the cross, and he was beginning to look that direction. And I think the timing of it was probably, it was probably uh, important or important that he shared this warning with them to say this. You know, don't get caught up in the yeast of this bad teaching of this teaching that is incorrect, that is, that, is, that is absolutely wrong. And so here's the issue. He wanted them to remember one very important thing. He, or, or a couple important things here. Number one, he wanted them to understand that what mattered to God, or th- this is what they both taught. They both taught uh, the issue about being good enough. Okay, The Pharisees and the Sadducees, their whole gist of working hard or just taking a relaxed approach to it, all dealt with how good you had to be to be okay with God. Now here's the issue. Here's the issue. Jesus, again, warns his, warned his followers then as he's warning us today because this is the issue. This, the, Jesus warns us both because we, if we listen and we, we allow the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees to creep into our lives, what happens is we miss out by, by embracing, we miss out on embracing the single most important thing in life, and that is this, God's grace. Because both of these missed out on the concept of what it meant with God's grace. Now, let's take a look at this. Let's break them down real quick, and then we're going to... Uh, 
look at one other thing. But listen to the, let's take a look at the Pharisees. Because I'm convinced that some of us are sitting here this morning, just like they were then. Some of you in here this morning would buy more into the Pharisaical lifestyle where you say, man, I've got to work hard. I've got to do these things. I've got to make sure I'm okay. Some of you grew up in that environment where it was like, man, you know, it's, I've got to make sure that everything I do is okay and I've got to make sure that, 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 that I'm in the right standing with God and all this other stuff. The Pharisees, the Pharisees believed that they, you could never be good enough, that there was always something that you had to be doing. And so all through life, maybe even with you, maybe even since you've first become a, a Christ follower, you've never quite gotten out from underneath this drivenness or this guilt, this heaviness that says there's always something that needs to be done. I think it's the same as what Apostle Paul was saying. And by the way, when we take a look at the life of, the Apostle, uh, of Apostle Paul, we realize he is one of the most, one of the most educated individuals um, with his, with his up, uh, upbringing and everything. He grew up in the whole pharisaical mindset. And at one point in Romans, he says this. He says he's struggling with this whole concept of how good you have to be, uh, you know, to, 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 to have, you know, this relationship with God. And he says this. What I, what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate is what I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do not or for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Paul's saying, I'm struggling with this stuff. The things that I don't want to do are the things that I do. The things that I know what to do, the, the, I mean, that's what I want to do. That's what I can't do. And he's saying, I'm, I'm struggling with this. He's saying, I don't know what to do. And he goes on to say in that, in that, in that verse, he says this, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this life dominated by sin? Later on, he would say, praise be to, to, to the glory of Jesus Christ. Because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Does that sound familiar to some of you guys? Where it's like, man, you know, I, I try so hard. I try, I try, I try. And it's like, you keep coming up short. Here's the, here, and here's the other thing that's been suggested of that whole word, wretched. When Paul uses that word wretched, it doesn't mean so much the, 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 that it means you're bad or worthless. It means you're worn out from trying. How many of us are in here this morning where our, our spirituality is really kind of stale because, man, we just try, 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 and it just feels like that we come up empty every single time. And that's not the life that we want. We want to live a life that's pleasing to God, but it's almost as if, the, the, I mean, it's it, it almost as if we're swimming against the current all the single time. And so if we fall into this whole pharisaical, stairmaster spirituality, it leaves us in this constant, or, uh, this, this constantly, we're constantly burdened with guilt or just plain old tiredness because nothing is never enough. And some of us in here this morning, you can ex- really relate to that. Here's the other thing, though. Then you, have the, then you have the Sadducees who say, you know what? All you have to do is just believe. As I said, you know, we're all good. Boys will be good boys. Girls will be girls. Nobody's perfect. Here's the problem with this, though. When you fall into that category, you don't realize the need or you're actually robbed of fully knowing your need for God's forgiveness and His mercy. And because of this lounge chair spirituality tells us that sin is no big deal to God when it really is, we lose out and we never understand or get to know the deep gratitude and closeness that we can have with God that comes from truly knowing that we're forgiven. Truly knowing that we're forgiven by Him. They sense no re- if you fall in this category, you sense no real, real need for God's mercy in your life instead of experiencing the tremendous release of coming clean before God and just falling in His arms and experiencing this intimate relationship. Now guys... 
This is where I need you to tune in. I don't need you to sleep or doze off because this is where you can leave here and say he's preaching a heretical message, which I am absolutely not. Because this is what I want to tell you. This is the crux of this whole message. Jesus taught that an authentic relationship with God is never about being good enough. Don't doze on me. He never taught that it was about being good enough. Jesus taught that an authentic relationship with God starts with the realization that I am spiritually busted and I am spiritually bankrupt. That's a huge difference. There is an immense chasm between believing that you have to be good enough and understanding that you are spiritually busted. And here's the key. You ready? You can't fix it. You can't fix it. You see, that's where Satan, the enemy, comes in and begins to subtly confuse us. We begin to believe that we can work ourselves. We would say, well, I know that I can't work for my salvation, but there's things i got to be doing. And again, I know we're walking a fine line here because some of you may walk out of there saying, oh, he's just saying now that I can go out and do whatever I want to do and we're going to be saved. That's not what I'm saying either. What I'm saying is, if you believe that you can fix it, you're, you're, you're wrong right off the bat. You're theologically off. Jesus never, ever preached that. He taught that to have an authentic relationship with God first comes from having a humble and contrite heart before him. Read the words of King David. King David writes in Psalms, he says, God, who can approach your holy hill? Who can approach Mount Zion? Who can come into your presence? Who can come into your temple? And God responds and says this, those that have a humble and contrite heart. What does that mean? To be humble and contrite before God? It means that we realize who we are and who God is. It means that we realize that we are spiritually bankrupt and that without God's grace and forgiveness and mercy, we can never have an authentic relationship with Him. Ever. It means that this whole pride thing that we have inside of us, that we fight so hard, that says, well, it's all about me at times, it's about my preferences, it's about me, and all this other stuff, it means that that has to be completely eradicated. Just like we sang in that song that says, get rid of that stuff in me. Get rid of that stuff. And we're never going to have an authentic, intimate relationship with God if we're coming into the presence of God saying, well, God, here I am. What do you got for me? The grace of God, no matter how good I am or how good I'm not, we we realize that we're in dire need of this forgiveness and mercy for His grace. And Jesus knew both the Stairmaster people missed the boat, and He knew that they were always trying to fix things between the Stairmaster and the lounge chair, and the issue was that they were both always trying to fix things. The Stairmaster people are always trying to fix things between them and God, and the lounge chair people miss the boat because they believe that there's nothing really to be fixed. Does that make sense? You could be sitting in here this morning, and with your relationship with God, you're thinking, I've got to fix this, I've got to fix this, I've got to fix this, I've got to fix this. And you may be sitting on the other side saying, well, there's nothing to be fixed. What's there to be fixed? I'm okay. It's not what Jesus taught. Here's the issue, though. It's one thing to understand this theologically. It's one thing to understand it and conceptualize it in your mind. It's another thing to let it travel 13 inches down into your heart 
and to begin to really live your life and base your life upon God's grace. You see, the Pharisees, if you're here today, if you're resonating with this whole concept of being good enough and trying to fix things, let me share a verse with you that should give you incredible amounts of comfort. Jesus says this in Revelation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Don't take the yoke of the Pharisees. Don't take the yoke of the ones who are preaching a message that you can do it, that you can fix it. Take my yoke. Because my yoke, the yoke I will put upon you, you will learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Doesn't that sound relaxing? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Let me put my yoke upon you. For some of you that says, you know what, everything's going to be okay, you fall in the lounge chair mode, listen to this. God says this through the prophet Isaiah, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. You see, lounge chair people, can you hear Jesus saying, Hey, you know what, enough of the nobody's perfect stuff. Enough of the hollow self-congratulation about being a basically good person. Come clean with me. Come clean with me. Come clean with me with your flaws, with your failures, with all these things. I will, I will take them upon myself. So here's the issue, guys. Here's the other issue. This just isn't, when we talk about this whole grace concept, it's not just uh, between uh, us and God, our relationship with God, but it's also between us and ourselves, if that makes sense. Let me share what, what I mean by that. This, How many of us sitting in this room right now, if we would be truly open and honest, Truly open and honest, don't, don't um, suffer to some degree with this whole self-worth concept and this whole standard of living up to somebody else's or our own level of expectation. Our insecurities, our, our self-esteems, our self-images, issues like that, all are looking, we all look at that and we all look at ourselves and we say this to ourselves, I'm not good enough. I'm not meeting my level of expectations. I'm not meeting so-and-so's level of expectations. I'm not living up to that. So many of us have lived our whole lives feeling worthless. We put on the front. Oh, we put on the front. We'll make you believe that, it's, you know, that that's not true. You'll convince people that, oh, I've, I've got it together. I'm, I'm confident within myself. But deep down inside, you feel worthless. And you may be maybe even hating yourself because you feel like you're not smart enough, you're not good-looking enough, you're not thin enough, you're not athletic enough, you're not rich enough, you're not popular enough, you're not smart enough, you're not um, successful enough, you're not loved enough. You name it. You name it. It's, there's always this feeling deep, deep, deep down inside of us that says... You are not enough. The yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of the Sadducees. And a lot of times what we do is we go off into our closets and we begin to self-medicate. We go off because we don't know how to handle that. We go off and we start doing the things that will bring us uh, you know, a quick fix or a quick release or whatever that may be. Instead of heeding Jesus is warning here that says, stay away from that yeast. Stay away from that yeast and experience the grace that I can give you, that I will give you. That grace that it's meant not only with our, in our relationship with him, but it's also the grace for ourselves that says, I don't have to measure up to that. 
that Jesus finds me worthy, that he died on the cross for me. Now again, when you leave here today, don't be going out and leaving and saying, you know what, Pastor Gail's saying you can live however you want to and Jesus is just going to take care of it. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. But I'm saying that if you think you have to work for your salvation, or I'm saying that if you, have to, if you think that you have to kick back and do nothing, there, it, 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 it's all based in the grace and forgiveness and mercy of Jesus Christ. And whatever we do, whatever you do, when it comes to grace, don't miss the boat. Don't think that there's any other hope, any other way to live than by the grace of God in Jesus. A grace that Jesus proved was, was real by being willing to die for it and to teach it and to live it. Guys, I pray that you will allow the Holy Spirit. You know, we're, we're told in, uh, by Jesus uh, in the Gospel of John that, uh, that, one, that, that part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, of the person of the Holy Spirit, is going, is going to lead us and guide us into righteousness and truth. And I pray that as you leave here today, that you don't allow the enemy to come in and to confuse you and to keep you confused. I pray that you listen very clearly and distinct, or very clearly to the distinct message of the Holy Spirit. Maybe this is the day you begin to open yourself up. Again, that's the humbleness, that's the contriteness where you come before God and you say, you know what, I'm not what I'll, all I'm cracked up to be. And that's where you become humble and contrite before God. And you say, God, teach me. God, lead me. And I'm going to follow you. I pray that we, as we continue this series of Summer at the Lake, you just continue to tune in with it. Um, uh, we're going to close with, uh, with that new song again. And I pray that it would be a prayer. Uh, when, it, when, we talk, when we sing about, lead, you know, lead me to the cross. Lead me to the cross. <laughs> Talk about a demonstration of grace. That's what grace is. God taking upon those things and saying, you can live this life. You can live this life that I'm asking you to, to live. Or to, you can follow me by the grace uh, that I am willing to give you. So I pray that you would make this song a prayer uh, as, we, as we sing. Would you do that? Why don't you stand as we close with that song?